Today's gospel reading comes from Mark 11, 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find there tied a colt that has never been ridden, untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They said to them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king, coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Then he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God for the people of God. For those of you that uh, know me outside of the pulpit, you would probably already know this, but I am not a fan of the artificial intelligence technology, the AI technology. And you'd probably also know that I'm the exception in my household. Uh, my, my husband is a big fan, and we were early adopters from all these devices that are activated when you speak their name. You know, like Alexa, turn off the lights. Echo, tell me a joke. Hey, Google, play my news headlines. In fact, the one uh, Kurt recently put in my office, this is no joke, tells me that dinner is ready. <laughs> and normally, I, I want to tell you that I am endeared to whatever voice tells me dinner is ready. <laughs> but not so much with these devices. There is one thing, however, I ask the Alexa every morning. Alexa, what's the weather? Anybody else have a device? Yes? Okay. You know, when I was in college, we used to call the bank. You know, they had the time and temperature, you know, and now you just ask Alexa, Alexa, what's the weather? And she, in her beautiful voice, gives me that little short rundown, and then I dress accordingly. But I want to tell you that the Alexa this week pulled a fast one on me. I don't know if any of you all experienced this as well, but I asked my same question, the one I ask every day, Alexa, what's the weather? And she gave me her quick rundown, and then she said, I can also help you with holiday celebrations. For instance, Easter. If Easter is a holiday you observe, I can suggest appropriate decorations and order them for you on Amazon. <laughs> Would you like my help? And I said, no. No, no, tell me the weather, Alexa, <laughs> right? But when she said that, I paused. I mean, I was just like, what? <laughs> if Easter is a holiday I observe, like, is that like President's Day? <laughs> or my new favorite set-apart day, which happened last week, in case you didn't know, National Puppy Day? And I was so excited. Yay, Jackson, you know, my, my beautiful friend that uh, has just been such a comfort to me over the season of pandemic. And, and I, so I'm thinking, what? Is Easter a holiday that I observe? And I realized I don't observe Easter, friends. 
I experience Easter. In fact, that experience for me begins in earnest today on Palm Sunday. This is the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem. It was the power seat in that area of the world of the Roman government. It was also the power seat of the religious hierarchy for all of the Jews. Most of Jesus' ministry was spent in Galilee, which if you've looked at a map, one thing you'll know is it's nowhere near Jerusalem. It's far, far to the north. To call it the outskirts would be generous. Really, it's kind of more like those little enclaves that sit at the end of dirt roads along the Illinois River. Perhaps you've sort of taken one of those by accident, and you end up and you're like, whoa, where am I? That was kind of like Galilee. Galilee was a place you went to get lost, to wander around with the common folk to sort of stay out of the way. And if you read the Gospels, one of the things you'll notice is that even in Galilee, Jesus caused a stir. And so you, you have to wonder, when he comes back to sort of what you might call the eye of the storm, Jerusalem, what is he doing? What is he thinking? That's not smart. That's dangerous. That's what that is. And so it, it's wonderful every year when we celebrate Palm Sunday. But this morning, I think we need to ask, what is really going on here? The scriptures tell us that Jesus didn't sneak in either. You know, he didn't try to hide away in somebody's suitcase. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, people were lining the streets to welcome him. They offered signs of submission. They laid their cloaks in front of him. They waved their palms and their leafy branches to say, Jesus, lead us. That's what they were asking of him. It might be helpful here to sort of compare what happened in Jesus' entry with a typical entry of a Roman leader into an area like Jerusalem. The painting I want to show you by Carl Vernet depicts the triumph of Emilius Paulus. It's kind of a typical Roman entry into a city. One look at this painting tells you that this procession was intended to make a statement on behalf of the ruler. Power and influence. You'll notice the size and the strength of the horses, the height of the leader above everyone else on the street. When this leader entered the town, it was to say, I'm here and I'm in charge. Now, compare that with another painting, which depicts Jesus' entry in Jerusalem, riding on a borrowed donkey or colt. There's no chariot, there's no gold, there's no army, just Jesus. He's not hiding, right? And clearly, he is not a threat to the Roman military might. So what is going on in Palm Sunday? My experience of Easter begins here on Palm Sunday when I ask that question, what is Jesus up to when he enters Jerusalem? I have three noticings I'll share with you that I think this is what Jesus is up to. One of the things I think Jesus is up to is to say you don't bring peace with force. 
Jesus' entry is clearly an allusion to the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, a scripture that Jesus would have been familiar with. Hear it with me. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he. Comma. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Right? Here is your king, O daughter Jerusalem. Riding on a donkey, right? Jesus knew this scripture and he chooses to enact it when he comes into Jerusalem, presumably because of its countercultural image of a victorious king. He wants people to remember oh, wait a minute, Zechariah said something about this humble on a colt rather than haughty on a war horse. Jesus is choosing very intentionally how he arrives in Jerusalem to remind us, friends, you don't bring peace with force. You don't find peace by ensuring your own protection. And you don't often meet peace without losing everything first. No, you ride into Jerusalem exposed, vulnerable, on a donkey. So what is Jesus up to? the way he chooses to make his entry into Jerusalem. Well, I would also notice this, that trying to make sense of today's chaos with yesterday's realities, it's not a good idea. Now, if you are a faithful Jew, one of the things that you would know in your, in your body, right? It's not just a memory you have up here in your head, but it's something that the story has been told over and over and over again to you of the exile. And as you read this story throughout uh, the scriptures of the Old Testament, what you will hear is a painful story of removal of the covenant people from Jerusalem by force by the Babylonians. And not only did they take the people away from their covenant homeland, they destroyed the temple completely. It happened in around 586-587 BC. And from that moment forward, every Jew held a hope Because they had been dispossessed. And this hope that lived within them so deeply that it wasn't a memory up here. It was a memory in their gut. was the memory that sounds something like, just you wait. You ever had that memory? (laughs) I know what happened, but just you wait. God's going to save us from this pain and shame. Because even when we got to return and rebuild our temple, it was never the same. We've been living under foreign occupation for centuries. Just you wait, you occupiers. God's going to get you. God's going to bring back the Messiah King into Jerusalem. And from there, he will rule on David's throne. You wait. He's going to make toast of all you all. Right? As a Jew, this is a memory that lives so deep within you. It is a part of your identity. And on this side of the resurrection, it's hard for those of us as Christians to know how deeply that hope would have lived within every faithful Jew. And Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem. And they're thinking, maybe? Could could this be it? 
Could this be the Messiah King? He's going to overthrow the Roman government and occupation. Just you wait. He's going to make toast of all you all. Right, Jesus? You see, they can only see the future through the eyes of the past. It's called nostalgia. And it's dangerous. Part of Jesus' triumphal entry was to say, be careful. Because when you try to make sense of today's chaos with yesterday's realities, that is not a good idea. Jesus came to bring a very different future. And if they had been able to pay attention to how he entered Jerusalem, instead of trying to match him against a previous image of a Messiah king, they would have been able to see it. The other thing I noticed about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is that he didn't come to die. He actually came to bring real life. And real life is often a threat to the life we find adequate. Perhaps Jesus' entry was him saying, you know, you could be free from the stranglehold your unforgiveness places on you. And many of the people that lined the street that day were saying, no, no, Jesus, I'm, I'm good. I kind of like this bitterness and resentment. It gives me a reason to get up in the morning. Gives me energy, Jesus. No, no, I'm good. I don't need real life. My life is adequate. Or maybe it is Jesus riding in on a donkey saying, you know, you don't have to hold on to all your stuff and all your money, worrying about who might be trying to take it from you. And the people lying in the street were saying, no, no. I kind of like the feeling of knowing this belongs to me. Right? I have all the power because this is mine. Maybe it's like Jesus riding in on a donkey and saying, you know, all that effort you put towards being perfect, you don't have to let perfectionism write your story. And everyone lining the streets is saying, no, no, because I'm going to get there someday. I'm going to make it. I will reach perfection. And then I'll have the satisfaction of knowing that all my hard work finally paid off. Because you, friend, you might be the exception. No one else has ever reached perfection, but you, you might. Now, this life that Jesus comes to offer as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey cannot be lived alongside unforgiveness, greed, and works righteousness or any of the other shackles we willingly accept. Instead, the life that Jesus comes to offer as he rides into Jerusalem asks us to accept what I like to call the terms and conditions of grace. Have you ever tried to download a piece of software or an app to your device and it says, do you accept the terms and conditions? I don't even read them anymore. Because this is what I know. If I want that app, I'll accept them. But if you read them, oh my gosh, there's a lot of stuff in there like you have to forgive as you've been forgiven. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, there's like a lot of stuff in those terms and conditions. And I think Jesus is saying, when I ride into Jerusalem, if you want me, you have to accept the terms and conditions. And what I love so much about it is, it's not a requirement of an action. It's a shifting of a perspective. 
because it's the terms and conditions of grace. And sometimes we mistakenly believe that Jesus had to die to save us when in fact it was only his death that would be shocking enough to wake us from our slumber. And that is what became painfully clear the day Jesus entered Jerusalem. Sadly, we could not allow Jesus to save us with this promise of real life that he came to offer. And as it turns out, only God could affect or or make happen that magnificent salvation and bring about redemption even from the cross. Before we move from the three points that I named for you, I just want to let you know that I'm so grateful uh, to Ira Brent Driggers. I went on the work, Working Preacher's blog this week, and the commentary that he offered was just so helpful for me, kind of sparking my own thoughts about how it is that... Um, Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, letting us know what is offered to us in that entry. But friends, I would remind us that we do not observe Easter. We experience it. Alexa is not going to bring this one to life for you. In fact, it's going to require a walk to the cross. And so the experience of Easter begins today on Palm Sunday. And we've got a long way to go before we reach the resurrection. My prayer for us this week is that God will hold us close as we make our entry into the chaos of Jerusalem this week. Amen.